everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 153rd episode of Make Ours Marvel, a podcast that Mike and I have really enjoyed producing that has gone through the uh, adventures of the Marvel superhero universe beginning at the Fantastic Four number one to 19 in 1961. And um, we have reached, um, well, what month is this? This is the end of April 1967. We're going to do a little bit of May 1967 to keep the episode format. But Mike and I have an announcement to make. Yeah. Go right ahead. Um, well, yeah, it's a little funny because it's a little embarrassing. We just, we don't think we can do the show anymore. Right. Um, and, you know, 2020 was a really hard year. Mm-hmm. And I... We, we've read a lot of really good comics, but we've read some kind of trash comics too. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this, Mike? I mean, I think we're in a pretty good, to put it in a, no other word I can think of, a pretty good season or era of Marvel. But so it's not necessarily the stories for me. It's just like, uh, I don't know if it was last year or what it is, but it just seems like the it's getting harder and harder to find enthusiasm to do. To, to 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 do another episode you know it just becomes it just keeps getting in the way of life i guess yeah there, there are other things that you know if we weren't podcasting we could be um doing other things uh, i've got my superman project um you theoretically have a batman project um <laughs> which i haven't touched in years <laughs> right but we also but, have yeah. family projects and work projects yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that has to give way in order to do this show. And so we just want to make the announcements right up here at the front of the episode that this is going to be our final episode of Make Ours Marvel, hence the uh, title, Make Ours Marvel No More. And yeah. um, we're going to start our episode talking about uh, Amazing Spider-Man is issue from issue uh, of April 1967. Then we're going to get into Sergeant Fury 44, Strange Tales 159, and Tales of Suspense 92. So, right. um, I guess it's my turn to lead off. Kind of an odd place to end it, but at the same time, like, where would be a good place, you know? So we're just kind of... 50's a round a, number for Spider-Man. Yeah, but Tales of Suspense 92. Tales of Suspense 92. Fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it is what it is. It is, it is what, what it is. is. How are you going to end it? It'll, it'll never be perfect. Right. And yes, it's your turn to kick it off because we, we had a fiver last episode, so now we're back to you starting off. All right, so we um, have the classic cover of Peter Parker and Spider-Man walking away from each other. Spider-Man no more. Um, Let's say we skip any long introductions. If one glance doesn't tell you where this little caper's at, then turn in your web shooter on the way out. Not that you can glance at the page because you can't see it, but this is from Stan the Man Lee and Johnny Ringading Ramita. They invite you to join the capricious company of Mickey DeMeo Inker and Sam Rosenletter, a hang loose hero. It's action time. Spider-Man is beating up a bunch of bad guys in a warehouse because that's what he does best. He's dodging bullets. He's punching out multiple people with all of his limbs. He jumps in the air and five guys fall down. So this is pretty great. He uh, gets, he catches them all by slamming a door over their heads and they poke through the door and the frame of the doors. Anyways, the two people who work in the warehouse are, one of them is really happy that Spider-Man saved them. And the other one is like super suspicious. The bugle always says, you know, you can't trust Spider-Man. Don't come any closer. Spider-Man swings away. Man, this being a hero thing is kind of stinky. Um, hmm. He is walking around as Peter Parker. 
he goes to his new apartment and Harry says, Mrs. Watson called. Your aunt is sick. You need to go there, Pete. So Pete hops on his motorcycle and drives over to his aunt's house. And she's like, Aunt May has been calling you and calling you. We wondered where you were. We tried to call your apartment. You weren't there. Dr. Bromwell was here and gave, him a, gave her a sedative. And he's like, you know, this being Spider-Man is just, it's getting in the way of things I need to do. If I hadn't been out Spider-Maning, I could have been there when Aunt May called me. It's just, you know, it's hard to be Spider-Man. Um, Peter Parker goes to school the next day in a weird hair shirt. We'll talk about <laughs> later. Um, and his professor, Miles Warren, calls him over and says, hey, I'd like to talk to you. They have a conversation about how your grades are declining. And Peter leaves and Gwen's like, hey, I've got a little party tonight. And Peter's like, yeah, I would really love to go out with Gwen, but I can't. So he takes a rain check on her and... Um, he wants to go take care of his aunt and study for his classes because he thinks he bombed the test. And it's just hard because being Spider-Man has just been causing a lot of problems. And he's really just kind of losing the passion for it. It's not as fun as it used to be. Um, and it's just getting in the way of, of life. So he goes home to his apartment. And J. Jonah Jameson is on the air. And he's really lambasting Spider-Man. And Peter's like, this guy... This guy isn't just saying this for ratings. He really believes it. He really hates Spider-Man. Why does he hate me so much? And he just keeps hearing these words, menace, public enemy, fraud, mentally disturbed. He's like, okay, it's clear. I I can't do this anymore. I've got to give up being Spider-Man. So he walks out into the street where the rain is coming down. He walks into an alleyway takes off every single stitch of clothing he's wearing, <laughs> leaves the underlayer of Spider-Man clothes in the trash can, puts all of his regular clothes back on, <laughs> and walks away super sad uh, into the rain. <laughs> how have I never thought about that in the history of ever? <laughs> You've The scene is ruined. <laughs> So um, next day, a kid runs into the bugle. It's like, hey, hey, is that Jonah Jameson guy here? Wait till you see what I've got. Jonah's like, I don't run a daycare service. And he's like, no, no, no. This is Spider-Man's costume. I found it in a trash can. And Jonah doesn't think some random guy bought a Spider-Man costume and threw it away when it didn't fit. He thinks, this must be the real thing. And he goes on the talking circuits. He goes on the uh, TV shows, Spider-Man through, Johnny Carson. Um, there's a, uh, I don't recognize the show, but there's a, a talk, uh, a talking heads table discussion and a certain man, certain, uh, round gentleman with a bald head stands in a very high apartment looking out over the city, thinking that this is the final moment that he's been waiting for with Spider-Man out of the way. The kingpin is ready to take over. So all the uh, all the the mob leaders start talking about how there's a meeting coming up, and old Stooley Patch tries to get in on it, and they're like, no, 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 this is above your pay grade. So he's like, if I can't even find out about this, then what's going on? And all the big wigs are talking about um, how they're not even sure if they want Kingpin to get to get get them together, but Kingpin's representatives like this is what's happening. He's the head. Any questions? Frederick Foswell takes off his Patch Stooley mask and goes to work. Runs into Peter Parker there, and Peter's like, 
hey, Jonah, uh, what is that on the wall? And Jonah Jameson's like, I put on display. It's a Spider-Man suit. He quit and I took it. Um, anyways, so Peter's like, okay, that that's that's weird. Jonah, I can't take pictures for you anymore. And Jonah's like, wait a second. What? After all I've done for you, I'm like a father to you. You're deserting me. What if not? You know, you're going to repay me. And uh, Peter's like, yeah, whatever. You, you, yeah. So a crime wave starts up. Uh, people are robbing and holding guns up all over the place. Spider-Man's doing nothing. And, you know, by the by, neither is anybody else in all of New York City stopping mm-hmm. this crime wave. The Kingpin sits in his office smoking his cigarette on his cigarette stick holder thingy. And um, he's, you know, moving forward with his master plan. Instead of lots of rival gangs, he's going to put them all underneath him. There will be a chance against the police. He's going to run the mob like a business. And he's chairman of the board. Peter Parker rides his motorcycle to college and Gwen Stacy's like, hey, we just got a letter from Flash. He uh, he says that, you know, he has put Vietnam on the run. And uh, Peter and Gwen talk about it for a second and they realize they're heading for the same place. So he gives her a ride. There's some like halfway flirting because neither one of them wants to admit too strongly that they like the other person, but they both really like the other person. And Peter goes to see Aunt May and look, she's up and around. Well, she's not up and around. She's awake and vertical in her chair. And um, uh, Peter fawns over his aunt. Mary Jane is there. She's like, oh my gosh, a man walked in and didn't notice me. Literally, that is what she said. He's like, well, hey, I'll give you a ride. And so he does. And he's like, you know, I don't know about Mary Jane. She's always on. But Gwen is so amazing. I'm going to study here on these textbooks and finally know what they're doing in class. I wonder if Gwen will notice me now that I'm smarter. Um, He hears a a report about uh, a robbery. He's like, oh, I got to go stop that robbery. Wait a second. I'm not Spider-Man anymore. Um, He talks to uh, Harry Osborn about it the next day. He goes and sees Gwen. But Gwen, um, he asks her out, but she has a date with Harry that night, so she can't go out with him. So he goes back home to take care of Aunt May, but Aunt May and Mrs. Watson are going out together. They don't need him to take care of him. He's like, oh, quit being Spider-Man to do all this stuff, and um, nobody needs me. I guess I'll go bury my face in a book. But then he hears a shout for help from a nearby rooftop of a warehouse. Help! Somebody help! He's like, no one's around except me. So he kicks off his shoes shimmies up the wall and this uh, elderly uh, guard is being uh, roughnecked by a couple of hoods and um, he you know punches the guys out saves the old man kind of keeps himself in the shadows keeps his face hidden so no one recognizes him and uh, he's like I just I just fell off the wagon I was I was gonna not be I was being a normal person and first chance I get what do I do I go spider-man it up again so um wonder why I did that you know that old man with the white hair Kind of reminds me of another old man with white hair that I knew (laughs) once. My Uncle Ben. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Uncle Ben is the reason I'm Spider-Man. That guy that I just saved remind me of how I didn't save Uncle Ben. The whole reason I'm doing this hasn't actually gone anywhere. I still feel guilty about not saving Uncle Ben and I should save people when I can. Maybe I should be Spider-Man. So I just got to go find a costume now. So Frederick Foswell has heard about the Kingpin and he's like, you know, I used to be the big man. I used to be the one in charge of all the gangs. I'm going to go talk to this Kingpin and tell him how things really are. 
And he goes to the kingpin. And he's like, yeah, so um, instead of you taking over, I think I'll take my position back. And I would love to have you as one of my chief lieutenants. And Kingpin says, you're joking. And um, he pulls out his cane and shoots Frederick Foswell with it. Foswell dead um, dodges, but his gun that he was about to pull on the Kingpin gets blasted. Um, Peter Parker runs up the Daily Bugle building without his shoes on. Finds the costume in Jonah's office, puts it on, sits there and waits for Jonah to show up again so we can needle him a little bit. And then he swings out the window. Next issue, Spider-Man's back and how. Man, this was like a 12-issue story arc compressed into one issue. Yeah. A this lot was happened. A lot of comic. And it's it's no wonder that 50 is one of the biggest comics out there for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I've never actually read this. Oh, uh, of course, I am aware of it, and I've heard of Spider-Man No More, and I, the cover, and the pinup, and I knew what they were referencing in uh, Spider-Man Number Two, the movie. But yeah, I never actually read it, so I was really surprised that it went through the entire story arc in one issue. It did. It's a little bit fast-paced, but I kind of dug it because we've done yeah. the, the multi-part quits trilogy before, mm-hmm. and so to have him like this, he had a reason to quit at the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. And they can go through the drama of what it's like to not be Spider-Man and having him kick back at the end of the story into Spider-Man mode again was pretty, pretty satisfying. Yeah. I enjoyed it a great deal. This is the third time he's thrown out the costume. Is it really? I was just <laughs> trying to think of that. Because um, we see in issue one that he's like throwing it in the trash because because of Spider-Man. Oh, right. Uncle Ben is yeah. dead. And then mm-hmm. he throws it out whenever he quits in 18... 18- 17, 18, 19, and then um, he throws out here again. Of course, this is the most what, iconic of those three by far. What happened in 17, 18, and 19? That's never he quit because Aunt May was in the hospital and he couldn't be Spider-Man. Oh, at the yeah, end of 18, yeah, and he fights Sandman and all that. Yeah, yeah. throws his costume. Yeah, he throws Sandman in 19. He hides from Sandman in 18 and throws his Spider-Man costume in the trash, walks downstairs, Aunt May gives him a cheering speech, and he walks right back up and unquits. Yep. So not as satisfying. I don't, as I don't this. have any particular examples, but I do feel his vibe of like because I know this has happened in the past for me, like where you feel like you're obligated to do something, and then one day you're just like, "But what if I don't do it?" Mm-hmm. And then there's just this feeling of well, there's a mixture of feelings. One, you feel like, "Should I be doing it?" And then eventually, it's kind of like, "Wow, that it's so life is so much easier now that I'm not bogged down by this obligation." Mm-hmm. And then maybe every once in a while, you have pangs about the fact that. You quit and you should have kept going. But then other times maybe it's like that was a really great decision on my part to never do that again. And I was really just doing it for no reason other than obligation. And then other times like you remember like some of the the rewards and perks of, of the experience mm-hmm. of doing it. And so you like you reverse your decision. Yeah. Yeah. And you go back and forth. That happens too. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, uh, Anna the- Watson is like really mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's like. Oh, Peter, if only you were home, she's called out for you like a thousand times and you didn't, you weren't around to answer. It's like, why did he need that information? You know, thank you for that. Right. Miss Watson. That's cool. But even if I wasn't Spider-Man, even if I'm not Spider-Man, I'm not going to be home 24 seven. There's a, there's a point in the near future where Dr. Bromwell really lights into Peter also for mm -hmm. the fact that he's not always there the way he should be. But I mean, this is okay. pre-cell phone. So if you're not home, you're not home. It is. It's just the way things are. 
He had no yeah. idea that his aunt was going to be sick. There's no reason for him to be home all the time. It sucks that they couldn't reach him, but that's what life is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on page two, when he's talking to the thugs, mm-hmm. uh, he says, I hate to shatter your pipe dream, guys, but we Spider-Man don't demolish that easy, which implies multiple Spider-Man, mm-hmm. which, you know, there are later. Right. Keenan wanted to point just- that out. He's just being jokey because to make it sound like he's a breed of a bunch of Spider-Men like him out there. Yeah, I just love that. Like, eventually you have to like, start making up names because you have multiple people called Spider-Man swinging around at the same time. True. There's a whole movie. There's a whole movie about that. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this hair sweater thing that he's wearing now. Okay. Yes, that is very what, odd. What even is Ramita trying to draw here? Is it like some sort of really wooly, itchy sweater? That's what I'm thinking, that it's just like, he's instead of drawing like the knit pattern, he's drawing the fact that all of the hairs are sticking out of it like they do on those things. Yeah, on page six on the shoulder, you can really see like, it looks like he's wearing a gorilla suit or something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what, what is up with all that, but it's definitely a look. I mean, page eight, the ultimate cap set ever, and it's not Captain America. Right. But uh, that is pretty much the most iconic walking away sad picture ever in a comic book probably right i think so the only other one i could think of would be uh cyclops quitting the x-men on that one cover that's pretty iconic too where he's walking away and they're all in the background right but but this one's pretty big i think that's right after gene died right i mean they uh they pretty much took this shot for spider-man 2 right the trash can and the it's been, it's been a, a while, while since i've seen memory, that movie that they really yeah. just kind of like shot this shot yeah and why not it's so good um, um, we get a conversation with Miles Warren in this issue. Who's um, Miles Warren? His professor. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Um, I don't know if we've talked about him before. Uh, I think we have. He's going to be a person down the road. He actually, for whatever reason, has the same name as Peter's high school professor, science professor. Mm. Mm. It's later retconned that they're brothers, but I really just wonder if Stanley had a teacher named Warren. So, like, he has... Was Connors ever his teacher? Not in this, huh? No, that not was just this. in this. That was just in the whatever. So this is his only famous teacher, really, I guess, mm-hmm. so far. Does this guy turn bad? He's going to turn bad, right? He's going to turn bad. Yep. He is the antelope. I don't know. I'm just making that up. Did you notice Gwen's five-inch eyelashes? Yeah. But I also noticed she, in subsequent pages, she's starting to definitely look more like what I think. Right. Like, uh, yeah, we're, we're basically there. There might be some, like, ineffable difference between this and the classic look, but she's Especially basically the classic look. Page 15 in particular, that six panel, like, that's her. Uh, but I'll tell you what I like about this whole Gwen MJ thing, but I realized is, like, I wasn't super on board with Gwen, and then MJ came along, and I was like, yeah, this is great. Let's date MJ vicariously through Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they have manipulated my brain into thinking now that I don't like MJ that much and I really want him to date Gwen, mm-hmm. which is where they're going to go. But it's like it's been kind of subtle and I think pretty good writing to have it just like – it's not like I hate MJ. She's still cool and I wouldn't mind hanging out with her. But now I kind of am finding myself rooting for Peter to hook up with Gwen. And I don't know if that's just because I know that's what's going to happen or if they – I actually think the writing has been kind of neat in – in roller coasting our emotions in that regard. I agree. I agree. It's 
It takes some clever writing to make MJ both appealing and yet give us a preference for Gwen at the same time. And part of mm-hmm. that is just her really loud personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gwen her loud, is more outdated personality. <laughs> She's like, I am so 60s. You don't even know uh, how Daddy-o. 60s people can be. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Kingpin's first appearance. I didn't realize that happened in issue 50. Yeah. I intentionally did not tell you that was coming. Good. That was fun. I liked seeing that. Did you know that he was a Spider-Man bad guy before uh, before Daredevil bad guy? I did know that. And I know that he's more of a – he's not quite what he'll end up being. Right. Although in this, he does does seem very much like the way he is, although he does have a a laser staff. Uh, But I think he's more physical at first, isn't he? Like kind of a big giant – yeah, we're going to see a lot more physicality out of him as this arc progresses because um, this is definitely chapter one of a story. Frederick Foswell is in a bit of a state at the end, and he's spun- an idiot, right? <laughs> <laughs> I used to, I used to be a big guy. I'll let you be a lieutenant, and then they're just like throw him in the pit of despair. <laughs> like if gone. he had maintained a presence all this time, then yeah. maybe that would be understandable. But he hasn't. He's been out of the loop. And he's like, yeah. just put me back in the loop. I am. I the did loop. wonder about that. And like, I think no, I no. mentioned that in, in a previous episode, like that he just seemed like they kind of just wrote him off. Like here's this guy who is running crime in New York, and then now he just works for J. Jonah Jameson. It's just it was weird. It is a little weird. But but now he's showing his true colors. So there you go. Okay, so <laughs> this is not the first time I've thought about the whole getting naked in the alleyway part of the um, uh-huh. discarding the costume. But uh-huh. I do like we don't see him carrying it. No. So I don't know what else we're supposed to conclude. And he's taking his jacket off on the previous page. Right. Yeah. So it's really is what did he just do? And Keenan pointed out they could totally get your DNA off that and find out who you are. And not like, 1960 something. Yeah. 1967 was not so much about DNA. Now it's all about DNA. It did seem kind of reckless of him to just toss it in the trash can, but it is very dramatic. It is very dramatic. And he's feeling dramatic. But if I were him, I would have maybe burned it or hidden it away somewhere. But then again, um, we're reading you, it and in. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, then again, if you don't get rid of it completely, you might be tempted to use it again. Right. You don't want to go back on that wagon. We were reading it. We got to the, um, the little round table discussion scene. And the psychiatrist is like, well, speaking as a psychiatrist, I feel like he's suffered a schizophrenic withdrawal from reality. Or to uh, couch in the layman's terms, he's out of his tree. And Keenan's like, yeah. wait a second. I understood schizophrenic withdrawal. What does <laughs> out of his tree mean? <laughs> so it's a monkey thing, right? Right. I would think. I just love how slang doesn't but, pass down. But schizophrenic withdrawal, like, where are you getting that, though, Mister? Yeah, it's it's PhD yeah. guy. Like, that's just out of nowhere. I don't recognize that show either, so I'm gonna guess that it's not real, but maybe it is. I'm not sure how to look it up. There's no title given, and none of these people use their first. Well, David. Um, that's really yeah, not a lot to go on. Not a lot to go on. David uh, Letterman is probably too young for this to be him. No, he wasn't. He's not a debate show either. Well, he was, you know, the the Tonight Show obviously was very, not this show, but I don't know what he was right, doing before right. this, but I still think he's too young to be an adult yeah. in the 60s on the show. Yeah. Okay. So, one, I like to think that the boss from the Daredevil issue is at this meeting with all the bad guys. Mm. But also, I mentioned it in the synopsis, where are all the heroes during all of this? Yeah. And it's interesting to me that Kingpin 
waits to become the kingpin for Spider-Man to be out of the picture. Like it's so bad for crime if Spider-Man's still around. Right. Like he's Batman or something, you know, and it, which I, I never really. Yeah, I guess it's it makes you realize that how important Spider-Man is to the criminal ecosystem or something. But like I never really thought of it that way. Like without Spider-Man, crime is rampant. That's the line you put in a standalone superhero story, not a shared multiverse, shared universe uh, superhero story. There's not even mm-hmm. a line that's like the Avengers are all out of state or whatever. So they're having a chance to run amok. Then again, outside of Daredevil, who is, well, we haven't really expressed how he's limited, but we know in the future he's limited to a borough. Like, who's taking care of street crime in New York right now as of our reading? Not Hulk, not Submariner, not the Avengers. Not the FF, not the X-Men. So really it is Spider-Man. He's it. I guess so. Right? Spider-Man and Daredevil. But again, Daredevil only goes so far. I don't know. Maybe only maybe Spider-Man only goes so far. Does that ever is that ever said? Not really. He just kind of goes everywhere, doesn't he? I feel like he does. I feel like, you know, he focuses on the area of Manhattan that's like, you know, lower Manhattan. But yeah. honestly, I really don't know. Wherever the Daily Bugle is versus wherever Queens is, anywhere within that area, he goes right, back five and block forth. radius around there. <laughs> yeah. Wherever Empire State University is, because that's where his girlfriend yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, so speaking of that, like, he quits the J. Jonah Jameson uh, freelance thing. Uh-huh. I was wondering, and I guess we don't have to know now, because he will probably unquit next issue, but, like, was he planning to do something different for money? Because he does have an apartment, and he has to make money. Right. So what was the plan, I wonder? And that kind of goes along with one of my notes that he says during the uh, the bank club. He's like, handicapped people, old people, helpless infants will be the sufferers. They don't have bank accounts to fall back on while waiting for help. And first, to go along with what you were saying, does Peter have a bank account to fall back on? (laughs) No. And B, what is that? Bank accounts to fall back on? Like... Your money sits in the bank, but it's not the actual money that you use on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. I guess people used to look like that, but gosh. That's a weird, a weird thing to say. I think old people can have bank accounts. I could be wrong. Okay, okay. Funniest thing. Um, Chase is a bank that I have a credit card through. And mm. they sent me a thing saying, hey, $500 offer. I'm like, great. What do I have to do $500 offer? Start a checking account with us. I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe I'll do that. Starting a savings account with us. I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe I'll do that. Deposit $15,000 in the savings account and leave it there all the time. And we'll give you 500 bucks. Yeah. So like, you know, that's what savings accounts are designed to be. They're supposed to be cash stock houses that the Mm -hmm. bank can lend other people money based on. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I have never, never once in my life had... (laughs) $5,000 to just sit there and do nothing with, much less $15,000. Usually if I have more than $1,000, most of it's claimed. Right. But yeah, yeah, bank accounts to fall back on. There's no free 500 bucks, that's for sure. I'm not getting that $500. I do remember in Spider-Man 2, the movie, because we keep talking about this because it kind of borrows from the story a lot, but like uh, there's a moment where a guy's getting mugged in an alleyway and he doesn't do anything. Mm Mm-hmm. That always really bothered me. Like, you may, oh, he didn't have powers. Unlike this story, he didn't have powers or his powers weren't working. But even still, like, not even a shout or a cry fire or something like that to get these people off this guy. Like, nothing. He just walked away. So I love that in this comic, 
even though he's like avoiding the radio parts and all that stuff, like when he does physically come across a crime and someone being hurt, he does something about it. There's a big difference, right? It's, it's something a lot more visceral when you see it happening and mm-hmm. walk away versus hear about it happening and choose not to respond. Like those are different dynamics. Yeah. I mean, they are on top of a building. So he could have been like, okay, I'm just going to keep riding my bike. Mm-hmm. Nothing I can do about this. But there is something he can do. And also, I've said it before and I'll say it again, but I, for some reason, really love Peter Parker doing Spider-Man stuff as Peter Parker. I don't know why, but it's just so cool looking. And it happens for like 10 pages in this comic, which is awesome. Did you notice his shoes? He takes them off? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they've done that before. But it's awesome. Maybe that's a Ramita idea. Yeah, definitely was not a Ditko idea. But Peter Parker. I think that's great. Because when he's Spider-Man, you know, his socks, shoes are thin-soled. Theoretically, uh-huh. his regular shoes are more thick-soled. And to get yeah. proper purchase, he takes them off and dangles them on their laces. Yeah. And that's how I've always pictured it. So that must have – I guess it started here and it's just been like that ever since. Like he has to be barefoot in order to use his sticky feet. I remember there were conversations in the letter columns. I don't remember if they led to this or if they were in response to this. I don't remember which. Hmm. Um, question. What yeah. color is Peter Parker's hair? Brown. Right. I've always thought of Peter Parker as having brown hair. And yeah. yet, Harry Osborne refers to him as my black-haired roommate. And I'm like, wait a second. That's weird. What? Do and, white people have black hair? Yeah. Ever? Yeah. Really? Yeah, like well, naturally? I think so. Hmm. But it, it's it's definitely colored black with a highlight of brown, which I think yeah. works better than a highlight of blue would in clothing. But well, yeah, I just assumed it was really dark brown hair. So yeah, certain spots hit it, and I'm and almost positive that later, as comics go on, his hair is brown. So I think totally. it's like the Batman suit effect, where the black with blue highlights became a blue costume, which in fact it was a Spider-Man suit effect. It was black and red with blue highlights, and then it became a blue and red costume. But yeah, his hair is brown to me. They said it was black. And speaking of hair, on page, uh, I can't read. The flashback page, page 17. Mm-hmm. This is like the first time we've got a Johnny Ramita version of a Ditko mm-hmm. story. So it was kind of interesting because like that face is definitely Ramita-like, but maybe because of the round glasses, maybe the hair is a little bit different, It, but not really. Like it kind of looks Ditko-y, but not exactly. Yeah, it's a very Ramita face. All of this is a very Ramita retelling. This mm-hmm. is also the first time we've had an in-story acknowledgement that Peter was responsible for Uncle Ben's death. Yeah. Because if you recall, origin. they ignored that part when they retold the origin at issue one. Oh. And is this like the third mention of Uncle Ben maybe <laughs> in our reading? Because <laughs> it hasn't <laughs> happened that often. Uh, it was when he was under the all of the um, the rubble in issue 33, right? He thought about Uncle oh, Ben. Oh, right. But that yeah. was the last time. Okay, so that's, that's one of my things. People with the modern Spider-Man films were like, he never mentions Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben's not canon. And I'm like, okay, yes, he is canon because they did refer to him in passing once. But also, Peter doesn't go around talking about Uncle Ben. Yeah. He's he's not Bruce Wayne. No. He doesn't cry about his parents every five seconds. If he has reason to think about it, he'll think about it. But it's not something he just goes around doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah. Also, whenever someone dies, sometimes you kind of avoid talking about them for a while. <laughs> right. Because it's a heavy thing to choose to do. Yeah. Uh, pop culture reference. Okay. Page 17. Yeah, when he's talking about the the, um, the flashbacks. 
and the mm-hmm. guy that runs past him. And um, let's see, where's the quote? When it came to chasing criminals, I was more than willing to let George do it. Ah, what does that mean? Okay, so Let George Do It was a radio show, um, and it started out as a sitcom kind of thing, but it became like a detective show. And George mm. was the name of the, uh, the the chief character. He is a detective. I don't know why it was called Let George Do It, but I don't think the title necessarily had the meaning he's using it for here. <laughs> but that's what the well, name sounds like, so it fits. Romina doesn't even draw Spider-Man like with the more black... Uh, more lines Ditko thing either. So like as far as Ramita's concerned, his version is the version of the costume he's always worn from the beginning, I guess. Mm-hmm. Whereas later, I think, I feel like if this was a flashback in modern age, that they'd draw him different or something. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, Should he have been back in the costume by the end of this issue, do you think? Well, see, that's what I think. Like in, in a modern storytelling this would have been to be continued at least two times. Mm-hmm. So this is a complete beginning, middle, end arc. Um, and like I said, I think it's a lot. But when I left, I wasn't upset by that. So I don't know. Yeah, I liked it. I think it's fine. Yeah. Why drag it I out? I feel it's like it could 50. have stretched out a bit longer. It's better than the two-page turnaround of issue 18. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I love the 17, 18, 19 trilogy idea. But that little, that little turnaround of completely quitting and then, oh, Aunt May's chipper where I'm about Spider-Man again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do feel like they could have let this go another issue and let him have a reason to put the costume back on. Maybe mm-hmm. even early in the next issue. But Some big menace could have attacked the city to be continued. Mm-hmm. What should I do? That kind of thing. What do I? Yeah, a what do I do ending would have been great for this issue. Mm-hmm. So but it is number 50, so I guess it's an all-in-one you know, self-contained issue. So that's why why it's worth $8 billion on eBay right now. And it's the end of our month. Nuh-uh. With this comic? This comic is oh, the yeah. end of our month. Well, gee, I wonder which one my favorite is. <laughs> um, I actually took time to think about this ahead of time. So mm. uh, I am prepared. I'm ready. Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah, it's easy. Let me run down the rundown. Okay. We have Sergeant Fury 43. Sergeant Fury 43 featured the... Um, the new Baron Strucker, what's his called? Yeah. How, uh, Klawa, Colonel Klawa, in charge right. of the Blitzkrieg squad, the Scourge of the Sahara. We had Thor 141 with Replicas and the never-ending fight against the genie um, mogul at the end that ended with uh, Satan bringing forth the 40 demonic riders or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Strange Tales 158, where Doctor Strange bargained um, with the Living Tribunal, and mm-hmm. Fury had his final encounter with uh, Baron Strucker. Tales of Suspense 91, where Iron Man fought the monstrous Crusher, and Captain America fought the Red Skull and thought him dead at the end. We had the X-Men 33 with the Juggernaut, and trying to figure out what Factor 3 might be. Tales to Astonish 93, with the Hulk and the Silver Surfer fighting it out. Also, Namor fighting it out with it and swearing war against the humans at the end. Daredevil 29. Daredevil's unmasked because he can't decide whether or not to propose as Matt or Mike. Fantastic Four 64, the Sentry and the introduction of the concept of the Kree. 
The Avengers 41, Diablo and the Dragon Man vs. Goliath, Let Sleeping Dragons Lie, and Amazing Spider-Man 50, Spider-Man No More. All right, what you got? Um, I can't not say Amazing Spider-Man 50, right. but Fantastic Four 64 was definitely up there, mm-hmm. and so were Daredevil 29, uh, Hulk, and Tales of Astonish 93, um, there were a number of strong stories this month, but I can't not say Spider-Man. See, I'm also going to say Spider-Man, but I disagree with you that anything came close to it. Okay. Because it's way better than all the rest by far. Um, and then yeah, my probably, least favorite, if, I, I don't like X-Men. I don't like magic. And X-Men did magic. So X-Men it is. <laughs> That's great. Okay, then mark your X-Men before I say mine. Um, X-Men is that. Okay. Um Although there were some middling stories this month, for me, there was only one that stuck out as a stinker. I liked the X-Men story a lot more than you did. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor. Replicas, the alien robot for no reason. Oh, yeah, that's true. Which but is it was drawn by Jack of, Kirby. It was so drawn something. by Jack Kirby. But that's something. But yeah, you're right. It's my second right. Thor in a, in a row, but I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, that's Ever since they brought Don Blake back, you're not interested. You know, I'm really not. And I've read the next Thor because we've already covered the previous Thor. So I've already read the next Thor. And one of the things I'm going to, I would have mentioned um, is that they're just not doing anything with Don Blake. They just have him on earth. He's just there. He's just there. Okay. So um, that was a good comic. Yeah. That was pretty good. good, Yeah. Felt good. Sergeant Fury 44. (sighs) A bombshell. The story the world has been waiting for. Okay, everybody, what story have you been waiting for from Sergeant Fury? Anybody? 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 I'll tell you. You've been waiting for Here Comes the Howler's First Mission. See? Don't miss the excitement as Fury's newest artist, the fabulous Johnny Severin, brings his own brand of battle magic to the world's greatest war mag. Is that true? Was DC doing any war mags? Sergeant Uh, Rock. Sergeant Rock. Oh, was that already? Pretty sure. I haven't looked it up. Who was first? I'll look it up while you recap. Okay. All right. The Howler's first mission, prologue. Now that Dino Manelli is back, there are eight Howlers instead of seven. Oh, no. That's an even number. But that just means one more target for the Nazis, not to mention the GI gunners on the infiltration course. Special blockbusting bulletin. With this special ish, jocular Johnny Severin rejoins the bullpen as full-time Fury artist. And since everybody in sight wanted to have a hand in this one, Here's what you get for the twelve for your twelve capricious coppers. Edited and kibitzing by Stan Lee. Prologue and epilogue by Roy Thomas. Plot and rest of script by Gary Friedrich. Lettering and bordering by Jerry Feldman. And last but hardly least, Mighty Marvel's own secret ingredient: art and inspiration by John Severin. And now, if you're still with us, let's go. Are you still with us? Okay, so yeah. Did you figure that out? Sergeant Rock was first. Um, Not by a whole lot. DC did their Silver Age revival a couple of years before Marvel really started up their Silver Age superheroes. And so he was part of that. His first issue was 1959. So is Nick Fury just a ripoff of Sergeant Rock? Then that's just Marvel's thing, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I've never read Rock, so I don't know if he goes around with a cigar saying blaming all the time, but I feel like he probably does. Anyway. So yeah, they're doing that obstacle course where you belly crawl under wire, wire like your friends shoot at you and stuff. And then they have to like infiltrate a fake German compound. 
Um, and it's really cold. And at some point, they all take a break. And I think Reb brings up how this might be cold, but you should have felt how cold it was on our first mission. And then, like, guys who weren't there, like Eric and Pinky, are like, hey, why don't you tell us about that first mission? Because we weren't there. We've always wondered, why are you guys called the Howlers, you know? So, hey, let's talk about that first mission. They go back in time to before their first mission, they're pushed around by Happy Sam Sawyer. And he, like, works them real hard. So it's more obstacle courses and, you know, the ladder thing and the belly crawling thing and the fighting thing. And they're exhausted. And they go back to the barracks to get some shut-eye. And Sam comes in and says, okay, I got my first mission for you. (laughs) And they're like, hey, we're tired. He's like, this isn't – you guys are supposed to be the greatest in the world I'm trying to create here. So if you guys can't handle a little sleep deprivation – I failed in my mission. So they're like, okay, we'll go. And what was it? Um, some guy from France. I can't even remember what the mission was. Some guy from France gets kidnapped by the Germans or something, and they have to go rescue him. They're not really very like, clear on who he is. He's like their lead, one of those lead scientist guys they can't do without or something. Mm-hmm. So they sent him to the enemy territory on the outside of Paris. This is probably when Paris was occupied or whatever still, right? Um, doesn't really show how they get there for once. They're just there, and they're looking at the building, and it's snow, so that's where the really cold part comes in. Um, and then they get attacked by some soldiers, and they beat those guys up. But then they're starting to realize, you know, there's more people in there than we thought, and there's only seven of us. Because, by the way, that kid who died, um, what's his face? Jun- Jun- Juniper or whatever? Junior Juniper. Juniper. Junior Juniper is is in this story because, you know, this is the first adventure, right? So they're like, what can we do? Um, I got an idea because Gabe starts blowing his horn like a moron kind of because – and Nick is like, dude, you're going to out our position. But actually, I have an idea. You hear that radio that the Germans are playing? Your assignment is to go over there and steal all the speakers – So they steal all the speakers and then put the speakers all over the place around the perimeter of this forest that they're hiding in. And then they turn on the radio that they stole and they scream as loud as they can, wahoo, and they start shooting it. And it makes it sound like there's way more soldiers than there actually are, which makes the Germans panic. They go running out um, and Nick Fury and his guys go running in. And they take care of the few that are there. And they get a hold of this guy that they're trying to rescue who helps them defeat Germans with a wrench. Um, The rest of the Germans surrender because most of them ran away, I guess. The rest of the Germans surrender. And then Reb has the idea of taking a – it's not a tank, but it looks kind of like a tank. It's like a tank Jeep thing but with no gun on it. I don't know what they're called. Sorry. And, And just take that out. But then they run across more Germans, and Dino says in German, like, we're heading towards Paris. And the Germans are like, um, you're liars because you're going the wrong direction. So they start firing, at which point all the howlers pop out of the top of this tank that's not really a tank and just go to town, say wahoo again. The Germans run away like, oh, my God, they're unstoppable. There's only, there's only seven of them, but we just can't beat them. That's impossible. They make it back home. There's a general there to give them awards, but Sam's like, no, no, don't do that. Back off. I'll handle this. And Sam instead berates them for not doing their mission very well because he doesn't want to give them a full head or, you know, a high, whatever, fat head, whatever you call it. Um, but then he gets a call from Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill is like, thank you for 
I guess it was not from, I guess it was a guy that got stolen from England. That makes more sense. And he's like, thank you for doing all the things you've done. Your guys are so cool that we're going to, the first, you're going to be the first Ranger squad that we in England uh, give you the rank of commandos in his, in his majesty's army. And they're like, wow, okay, cool. And then Sam's like, yeah, and I heard all that howling you're doing. So I'm going to call you the howling commandos. And then it cuts back to the president and everybody's like, hey, thanks for that cool story. Anyway, back to work. And that's it. An epic you'll never forget next. The war. What does it say? The war lover? The war lover. Okay, all the of war that. The war lover. Mm-hmm. But oh, also- and Reb is also a racist. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't really play that up that hard, but yeah. Well, see, so it's was never appeared before. And I've actually thought about it a couple times because he's Rebel Ralston. He is literally naming himself after the Confederacy. Right. Right, and there is like page when it first happens on page like eight, uh, maybe? page God, page five. He makes a comment, and it was so subtle in a way I almost wasn't even sure if that's what I was supposed to be taking from it. Right, but it was very unexpected because forty three yeah. issues, and they haven't done that. They have not made Reb a gross character, and like yeah. an unexpected amount of grossness, and then they bring it back later in the story. And then they bring it back at the end saying, how did y'all resolve your differences? We'll tell you how we fixed racism later. Um, right. So that's another story. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's not super over the top, which I actually kind of appreciate. It wasn't like stereotype over the top obnoxious, but it was just like little comments here and there. Like, I don't want to sleep next to you or I don't want to be assigned next to you. Right. His uh, Weird stuff like that. They're having an easy conversation and Gabe is contributing like a normal person would. And Reb is like, you're lucky we even let you talk to us. Right. Which is that it's a very normal kind of thing that a racist asshole in the 40s unit would say. But um, it's also a thing a howler would say to another howler. So at first, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be taking it as racist or just a jerky thing to say. Because, like, if Nick said that to Dum Dum, I wouldn't bat an eye. Right. Yes. You know what I mean? I get that. So, but eventually it was like Nick was like, hey, we don't have any room in this in this division for jerkhead so yeah. then it was like oh okay if you want to go be a nazi do it over there <laughs> right they actually literally compared his attitude towards nazism which mm-hmm. is very 2021 um also <laughs> every single person harped on their shortcut character trait at least a thousand times yeah you know i like gabe jones to have some lines of dialogue that don't have to do with his bugle <laughs> he doesn't and and this, he mentions his bugle, and people talk to him about his bugle literally 12 times in one issue. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're, they're all hiding in the woods, and he's tooting on his bugle. Right. It's like, come on, come on. Dugan mentions his mother-in-law and his wife and everything else about being unhappy at home. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Reb talks about poker multiple times. Um, who else is there? Izzy talks about his mom, Mrs. Cohen, didn't raise no whatever. Anyways, they all use their shortcut character Juniper traits. Juniper has no shortcuts, I guess, other than being young. Yeah. Well, some of those, they didn't really develop until after he was gone. Like yeah, Reb and his exactly. poker deck, that was a later development. Mm-hmm. But yeah. but so, so those things aside, what did you think of the overall story? It was cool. I actually have, despite what the cover says, I have never wondered why they're called the Howlers. Maybe that's just, you know, brain dead on my part. Like I should have wondered, but I never have. So that was neat to get an origin of that, though. 
Yeah, I was. I liked the use of the word commandos more than I cared about the origin of the howling because howling could be whatever. But the fact that commandos actually has a meaning in the story because they point yeah. out early Pinkerton's like, you know, commandos is a British term, right? And is that right. what- in this story they said that? Yeah. Yes, but I didn't. I didn't know that, or I never thought about that up until this issue. Mm-hmm. Like, why are they called commandos, not platoon or something, or whatever the American equivalent of a commando is? Right. I'm looking to see uh, actually what commandos are. A commando is a combatant or operative of an elite light infantry or special operations force used during operation techniques. So um, Sergeant Fury and his howling infantry would not sound as good? I think so. Yeah, I agree. And they specify that technically they're rangers, but they're called commandos uh. because they're rangering for the UK and the UK wants to give them special uh, status. Which is where most of our stories take place for these guys is home base of England. Right. And that's one of the things that like as a young person, I never really connected with World War II because Mm. we're really far away (laughs) from Mm -hmm. World War II. All of that was happening over there in Europe and Japan. And the Howlers howlers are fighting World War II before America is, I think. Yes. Yes. So that's why they're in England. Um, uh, we forgot to mention, I wanted to mention John Severn is the new permanent artist, except for, I don't think he's permanent for very long. I th- oh, really? Um, he appears to do three issues and then he becomes the inker over Dick Ayers, who come, who's been our standard artist for a long time. Mm. And I, I kind of like him. I do too. It's a very, he was, he did a couple issues of, of Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. that I really, really liked, mm-hmm. but it gives us sort of. When I say the word gritty realism, I don't mean like, oh, swear to me. I mean, just like people's faces look lived in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's less cartoony. Mm -hmm. It's like, it reminds me of a style of like, I don't know what to, how to say this, but like maybe a non-superhero comic. Right. Like if you were to read a a horror comic back in this time period or in the fifties or something like that. That's a good point. Um we're, during the Sergeant Rock, Sergeant Fury discussion earlier, I was looking up, you know, some comparisons between the two. And Sergeant Rock art, that at least was depicted in the couple of panels that they showed, seems to take itself more seriously than Sergeant Fury art traditionally does. Uh, um, however, <laughs> turns out, I was wondering, since Sergeant Rock came first, did Sergeant Fury, like, copy him? And maybe a little bit, but the the story that's handed around is that Marty Goodman, the publisher, and Stan Lee, the main writer, had a bet that St- whether Stanley could marvelize any genre of comic, and also could he turn a comic with the most ridiculous name ever into a success? And I've heard Stanley talk about the title thing because Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos is a really long title that he made mm-hmm. work, right? And he did basically turn war comics into a superhero team. Yeah, I remember that part. I, we never factored in whether Sergeant Rock had anything to do with it, but maybe not. Maybe nothing. Uh, they kind of have a similar vibe, though, but I know nothing about Sergeant I've Rock. I've never read a single Sergeant Rock. I think it was all modern-day war, like Vietnam stuff, whereas this is obviously oh, World War II. Oh, okay. But, like, Vietnam was a really long war. I was associated mm. with the late 60s and protests and everything, but Vietnam goes back to the 50s. Um, I mean, Vietnam was part of Iron Man's origin story. So, 1959 Vietnam War would have been happening you know, comics about that would have been before all the protest attitudes happened, but still, it's an interesting mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. I only had a couple other notes. Um, random okay. context. If this is the fall of 1942, Hydra already exists over oh. there 
and Sarge and, and Nick Fury has no idea. Because he said that in Strange Tales? Um, when I looked at when, it, when Strucker got to the end and I was just kind of looking up information about him, I found out that he started Hydra sometime before 1941. Oh, wow. Because in 1941, it already exists in some story. So that means Hydra existed before his last appearance in Nick Fury and Sergeant Fury, right? Yes. The Baron Strucker that we have seen in Sergeant Fury is the head of Hydra. I haven't thought about that, but you're right. The the same Nick the same Strucker. The last storyline was he was assigned to some civil some town and he didn't want to murder all the people even though Hitler told him to twenty eight times. He has a paramilitary force off on the side that he's in charge of. <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> you think he might have would have used that, but that's cool. Um, but yeah, that's all I had. I thought this yeah. was a pretty fun read, except for the annoying bits of scripting, and they were yeah. unusual because they weren't. Like, I mean, Thomas has been scripting this for a little while now, uh-huh. and this was a way overdone for. <sighs> I feel like his, I don't know what else he writes, but because I can't remember, but his Fury and his X Men are often bogged down by his dialogue. Still, he's started doing Not Avengers always. recently. Yeah, but I don't feel as bad with Avengers for some reason yet. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just because I don't know. It's like. Like we've said before, every character in every panel has to speak or something. Mm-hmm. It's just, my God. But I don't know. Maybe he likes Avengers better. Or he's better at writing it or something. Shall we push the fast forward button on Nick Fury's life? Yes. It's a it's a, it's a a two Nick. Mm-hmm. Two Nicks, four Nicks, not, six Nicks a dollar. Not, not to be confused with a two Nick. Well, this is actually a three Nick. Oh, my gosh. Is it really? Yeah. because You're right. It is. Uh-huh. It is. Yeah. We've never had a three, Nick. No, and evidently we never will. <laughs> Strange Tales 159 featuring the great Captain America. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Doctor Strange. We open the cover and we get, after the ads, Spy School. Produced by San Lee. Script and cinematography by Jim Starenko. Lettering effects by Jerry Feldman. Um, the credits are movie-oriented because we have a fantastic photo-based drawing of um, Times Square or something, you know, with the lots of signs and lit up. And our uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are walking out of a movie or just at least walking past a theater. We've got Dugan and Stilwell and Fury and Jones and Laura Brown. After the defeat of Hydra, see last issue. And the Purple Man. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) The massive helicarrier has docked for repairs in New York. Now the inner circle of the S.H.I.E.L.D. organization prepares to go to bid each other farewell. And a startling new saga begins to unfold. So this, this assignment of everyone working together, all buds from the war, A, we never saw it start. They just started appearing in the comic. I talked about that a while back. But B... This is where it ends. Um, they all talk about their new assignments they're going to have. Um, Stillwell is pledged to secrecy on his assignment. Jones is going to go back to his music, which I guess maybe he's been doing for the last 20 years as well. But he's going to go take his new... Um, is that a Van Dyke? What do you call the the facial hair that's just the goatee and not the mustache? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure either. Creepy? Something <laughs> like that. I kind of like it on him. Um, Fury's going to go, of course, to what he does. Uh, Dugan, what does he say? He's got a leave of absence coming. He's going to go back to his old home in Boston. He does not mention his wife nor his mother-in-law, 
but he seems pretty excited to go back home. So maybe he actually loves his wife now. Who knew? So Nick Fury and Laura Brown are left on their own. They're walking through the cold streets. And Fury's like, yeah, this is, um, huh. This is the town where I grew up. They used to call this place Hell's Kitchen. I ran through here like a terror. Getting up to all sorts of no good the boys get up to. And uh, getting into fights with the gang on the street next over. Yancey Street. Uh, Mom, you know, would take care of me and the and the siblings. Dad was killed in action back in World War One, And uh, yeah, it's pretty great. They arrive at a barber shop. Nick and Laura do. They... Uh, sit down each in turn on the special secret barbershop chair. And when they get downstairs, Nick Fury goes and grabs a uh, large manila envelope and hands it to Laura and says, Laura, you know what this is? This is your legal paperwork to make you a fully authorized agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And Laura's like, that's so awesome. I love you for doing that, but I'm going to go. Bye. (laughs) And she leaves. Um, so Nick Fury's like, huh, I'm going to go home to my swinging 60s pad with like awesome retro artwork and spiral staircase going up to who knows where. Maybe it's like Ref Tevia, one even longer, going nowhere just for show. Anyways, he goes to bed, takes a nap, sleeps for the night, goes to work the next morning, and he goes to Unit. No, this is not a Doctor Who crossover. Turns out S.H.I.E.L.D. had an underground network intelligence trading academy before Doctor Who even premiered Lethbridge Stewart on the show. And there are lots of people training to be S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. There are people in water. There are people climbing walls. There are people doing fighting techniques. And Fury's like, sweet, I'm going to train you. I'm Nick Fury. I'm pretty awesome. See this thing? It's a Satan claw. Do you know how to beat it? And one guy he's training is like, it looks like a semi-automated transistorized electronic tool. I could degenerate that coil with something, something. And Fury's like, what? Who, what? Okay, you're going to be my new scientist guy. So go do that over there. Okay, everybody, listen up. Um, I've got an opponent here. Not sure who they picked out for me. We're going to do a little fighting demonstration. So you all watch. And who jumps out the door? Captain freaking America. And uh, they haven't seen each other since uh, the humanoid assassin from them showed up. But they fight and they talk and they're having a good old time. Um, Starenko draws the heck out of Cap as they fight. And Fury actually loses the fight. He throws a cigar at Cap. Cap bonks it back to him. He catches it in um, a shirt, like his jacket. But the jacket and shirt start to catch on fire. So he takes them off, but they kind of explode before he can actually get away from them. So he gets knocked out. Cap runs over to him. He's like, oh my gosh, Fear, are you okay? Fear's like, I don't know. And then one of the students, one of the trainees runs up and she's like, hold on. Let's see what's going on. She helps him to his feet. He says a couple of mildly sexist things and not to say mildly like you shouldn't, like, like they're not that bad. It's just, you know. The degree of sexism is not super strong. Um, And she basically throws him on his butt and walks away saying, you may hereafter address me as the Contessa Valentina Allegro de Fontaine. And Cap's like, "Um, that was was pretty interesting. He's like, yeah, did you see that? And next issue, the big blackout. Why is there surprise in your voice that Nick Fury lost to Captain America? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, what? And Nick actually loses. Of course he does. Well, so honestly, since I knew that he was here, 
and they were going to meet over in Tales of Suspense. What mm-hmm. I honestly expected to happen was they would fight in each issue, and in each issue, the protagonist would win. Mm. That would be more fair. It's like the myth about Godzilla versus King Kong having two versions. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't. Um, yeah. This, this, is a, this feels like a direction, huh? This is a totally new comic than what we had yep. before. Yep. This is officially Starenko taking over. Yeah. And doing what he wants. It, it like, honestly, I know Starenko's been drawing it, but if you told me that that was actually a different guy, I would fully believe you. Yeah. Because this feels so different. Uh-huh. It's like he had to wrap up whatever baggage he had to wrap up, and now he gets to put Nick in a suit and show his apartment and his private life and new missions. Get rid of all the old cast. Mm-hmm. Add a new member and do new missions all in one issue. The photo collage work at the beginning looks so amazing, mm-hmm. except for Gabe's coloring. Yeah, they're they're really wrong on that one, aren't they? It really is like violet. It's a blue gray, but it's pretty much it comes off as violet. Particularly when their hands are all together, it's very jarring. Like he has some sort of weird disease or mutation or something. On the row right above that, his skin is the same color as Fury's hat. Mm-hmm. Or his suit, his purple suit, or his, his suit. Face. Yeah, they're the, they're the same color. So, what do you think about like them all just saying goodbye? Like, I was kind of surprised. I was also kind of surprised. I've kind of been enjoying sitting here with the the old Howling Commandos gang, and I know that in the fu- future, at least Dugan and Stillwell come around again because Dugan and Fury are like you know peas and carrots, or in the way I grew mm-hmm. up, peas and corn. Um, yeah, to me, they just seem inseparable. But for they're going to be separate for a while. But when I think of Nick Fury, Steranko Nick Fury, which I've never read, but I you always see those trades or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's on the cover with that blue outfit that we haven't seen him in yet. Yeah, the jumpsuit. With the, with the, with the white holster. And he's always right next to the Countess. And there's never a Dum Dum or a, a Stillwell or right. anything in those. So it's like... Part of me was like, oh, wow, I was surprised that they're leaving. And another part of me is like, ooh, this is kind of exciting. We might get new supporting cast characters. And I don't associate Stillwell with future S.H.I.E.L.D. stories as much. It's just I remember seeing him in some. I don't mm-hmm. remember seeing Gabe Jones in much. No. So I, I, honestly, one of the things I'm curious about as I continue reading through these comics on my own is mm-hmm. what role does he have to play in the present day stories? Dum Dum will definitely be in the jumpsuit someday. We've all seen it. <laughs> He's gonna have to work out for it a bit. <laughs> he he, ha- he has the boiler hat bowler hat on, but he wears the jumpsuit. Um, the secret organization Shield is in the Daily Bugle headlines. Shield smashes uh, Hydra threat at the top of page two. Oh well, it's like the CIA or the FBI, right? We get headlines about them. Yeah, you, you said don't... that before, argument before, and I remember liking it when you said <laughs> it before. But just uh-huh. I'm used to Shield being like the 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 worst yeah. kept secret ever. Yeah, they are, apparently. Um, okay, two things get mentioned on page three that I was very surprised to see. I don't uh-huh. think Daredevil has mentioned Hell's Kitchen yet. You were talking earlier about how he's going to be associated with a burrow later or with a tiny mm-hmm. A-Road. Mm-hmm. So Nick Fury gets associated with Hell's <laughs> Kitchen first. Yeah, you posted that on Twitter, and then I desperately searched through some early Daredevil to see if I could prove that wrong, and I could not. So you're probably right. This is the first mention of Hell's Kitchen I did check issue one, because with all the noir tones to that uh-huh. i thought maybe that'd be the most likely place yeah yeah it just talked about like dark alleys and stuff mm-hmm. and then the yancey street gang nick fury fought the yancey street gang 
Oh, wow. So that kind of is blowing my mind right now because we've had discussions about whether they're even real. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, if Nick thinks they're real, they must be real, right? They're real. The thing about them not being real, I think my guess is that some writer did that, but then everyone else is eventually like, yeah, but we know that they're real. They can't just yeah. be gags. They can also be gags, but they're real. Right. It's possible Johnny was responsible for some of them, mm-hmm. but not their identity altogether. No. Okay. Laura Brown. Is gone. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, that's cool because all they did was make her a hostage who never said anything anyway. Yep. She was. This seems like more Starenko trying to lose baggage. She had more to say in this issue than she's had in a very <laughs> long time, but it was all that's centered right. around Nick Fury. Like it was not her as a person. Uh huh. The only thing she does as, as a person is like, you know, now that I'm no longer trying to get my dad to stop being a terrible, I'm going to go live life and that's going to be fun. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I feel like this orange suit, shield security suit is new. Mm-hmm. That feels new. So I like the uh, track of emblem costumes. Yeah. Speaking of like, I love his apartment. The shot. It's so 60s. Yes. Very. But 60s. you know what I love? That's what I like about this issue in general is outside of the cap fight, which was all just a scrimmage anyway. Like we really have a lot of downtime in this story, mm-hmm. which is awesome because we don't get that much in 60s comics and – Sometimes it's exhausting how much we go from arc to arc to arc. So I really kind of, this really did feel like he's just going to establish something new. But a lot of that is because Nick is just living his normal life for a little while. I meant to look it up because I have the impression in my head that Jim Serenko put a lot of his own self into Nick Fury. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of what we have here is either analog to what Nick, to what Starenko actually experienced, or like mm. the life he imagined himself having, or something like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't do any research on that. So we get another entrance to Shield is through this subway tunnel or train tunnel or whatever it is. Oh yeah. So that's different. It's not just the barber chair. There's multiple options, I guess. I'm just looking at that's the uh, uh, entrance to the, the the Unit Academy. So yeah. yeah. And this giant splash page for all the different things that Shield is. Doing that was pretty neat. The, guy, the one guy trying to get out of a trap with his bl- eyes blindfolded. So, do they give Baldy guy uh, a name? Is he going to be a regular? Uh, I don't think they do. I don't do they? think they do. He seemed like he was Sydney a character. Sydney E. Levine. Oh, so maybe. Maybe we'll see him again. He seems to be the new inventor. I'm just doing a quick look um, on the Marvel fandom site. And yeah, yeah, he is a person. He's actually, they're going to tell some World War II stories about him in Marvel oh. Fanfare. Uh, he wow. was in Hollywood for a while, um, which he mentions here, actually. And yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D., he's um he does some stuff. He's even around as late as Civil War. Okay, so he's like the new S.H.I.E.L.D. Q or something. Maybe. But then there's a whole group of them. He's not in a lot of what stories, are, but his stories are spread out over a lot of time. What do they call this group? They call this the, uh, oh. A room occupied by a handful of men and women, each chosen for his unique talent. So it's not a group of like thinkers or anything. They're all individually talented in something. So he's the guy that's going to repair the car. Contessa's the gal who can apparently knock him on his butt. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They didn't really go into the rest. Captain America so showing do, up like, was the non-surprise because it's on the cover. It's on the cover. I was thinking like, what do they do? Call Avengers and just be like, you know, it'd be really fun, Cap, is if you'd come over and surprise Nick by kicking him. <laughs> 
But I guess he was down for it. He was down for it. He hadn't seen Nick for a while. I was like, yeah, I'll go see Nick. Um, and yeah, they fight. There's a brief mention during the fight about something called the big blackout. And uh-huh. so they're going to go investigate that next issue. So this thing with him and Cap is actually yeah, not just the training says, exercise. He says, we're more important things to do right now. Discover the power behind that incident we took care of a year ago, the big blackout. So was that off camera? Yeah, it had to have been, which means they met each other a year ago that we never saw. I guess it'd have to be somewhere after that stupid letter. I say stupid. I liked that part. Um, <laughs> and his like stumbling yeah. upon shield HQ and saying, I've got this card that says Fury's my friend. And uh, but sometime after that, but before now, Captain America and Nick hooked up. Not like that. Gosh, uh, the word hookup means something very different now that it, I, in my head, it's just they got together and did something. I like how she knocks him down. And there's just three panels of him looking shocked, then looking angry. And then I'm not sure what the third look is supposed to be. I was assuming in love, but maybe it's rolling your eyes. I don't know. But either way, it was a neat like transition of emotion. It looks <laughs> she like he's away. blowing her off. Like he's surprised. He's mad at yeah. her. Then he's like, oh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, while they're fighting, they mention them. And Captain America uses them in the beginning of a threat. It's like, he says them's something or other. Them's humanoid mm-hmm. assassin. And them's just bothers me. Like that yes, shouldn't be them, a thing. Them's the breaks. <laughs> yep. I don't know. But yeah, first appearance of the Contessa. Yeah. I literally know nothing about her except I think she's me a too. major shield character. She's a major girlfriend for him. So this is going to be a major character. I know that much, but I never read any of her stuff. She reminds so me of, of the Baroness from G.I. Joe for maybe no reason uh, other than the name. But like Or the Viper. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess I, the Viper and the Baroness could be analogs since G.I. Joe is gonna be a shield story. Oh, yeah, maybe. But yeah, um, she's gonna be in a lot of stuff, so we gotta keep an eye on Keep on an her eye on the Contessa. Yeah. I did write down but a little bit more about Laura Brown. Um Okay. We don't know a lot about her. We do know that she was going doing Hydra to impress and try to turn her father. So it makes mm-hmm. sense that she might do something totally different when she's given the chance, which is what she's going to go do. I looked mm-hmm. up on Marvel fandom what they had to say about her dad, Arnold Brown, because we didn't really know how his involvement as the head of Hydra fitted with the Strucker stuff. Mm-hmm. And basically, Strucker was impressed with how Brown used his corporate connections to uh, funnel funds into Hydra. And so he let Brown um, run things while Strucker kept in the background as uh, the leader of them. And so that makes more sense. Um, Brown was part of Imperial Industries. And so he was given the title Imperial Hydra, not Supreme Hydra. Uh, Strucker was a Supreme uh, Hydra. Okay. Well, we did wonder how that guy got in charge of anything or even started Hydra. So, right. Works. And we actually will see Laura again in about a year and a half or would. Okay. Okay, so um, that's that story. Should we do Doctor Strange? I guess we better. The evil that men do and the comics that tell a story about them. Um, 48th smash issue held over. Is this really the 48th story? Yeah. I yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Stan Lee Productions proudly presents a Roy Thomas. Mar- I don't think it is, though, because there were a couple issues off. Like, they haven't been going solid since 111, but that doesn't matter. Mm. It's okay. A Roy Thomas Marie Severin all-star amulet-studded artistic achievement in collaboration with Herb Trimpey Inker, Al Kurzrock letterer, 
Irving Forbush popcorn popper. So we're going to have Trimpy inking Severin on the Hulk. And that's the team that's drawing mm. this issue here. Okay. Um. So remember how Umar ran away from Zom and like before she totally skedaddled, she crumpled up the um the Doctor Strange house like a like a paper ball. So he's mm-hmm. at home. He's like, well, there's this big hole in the ground where my house used to be. That's not chill. So what I know what I'm going to do to all who behold these presents. Be it known by the above mesmeric monologue that a desperate Doctor Strange has returned to his Greenwich Village hideaway only to find that the entire building has mysteriously vanished. And if you would fathom why, merely recite the occult incantation opposite and all shall be disclosed to you. And now, let the flames thus flicker low, let the silent shadows steal, let the lonely candles glow, our mystic tale reveal. Note. As a last resort, if the above spell fails to work, try um, turning the page, faithful one, and we'll fill you in as we levitate along. Hmm. Okay, so Nick Fury, uh, uh, Doctor Strange is walking around. What am I going to do with my missing house? And a shadow whispers at him. He turns around. What are you doing? I'm Wong. It's I'm Master. It's me. And he's like, Wong, I almost killed you. Why are you out here? What's wrong with my house? And he's like, remember how Umar like ran away from you? She came over here and, like, totally crumpled up your house like a paper ball. And um, Dr. Strange turns away. And Wong's like, why are you leaving me? Did I upset you? He's like, no, no, no. I have an idea. Maybe she didn't actually crumple it up. Maybe she just disappeared at it. So he does an anti-disappear spell. And it undisappears. The house is back, uncrumpled, standing perfectly where it should have been in the first place. Dr. Strange goes inside. Whew, everything's still here. Gonna fly up the stairs with my cloak. Gonna go check on the Crystal of Agamotto. Look at the world to see if there are any crazy spots. And, um, hmm, looks like there's outbreaks of black magic all over the world. Lots of people who didn't have magic powers or had very minor magic powers are suddenly doing lots of bad things with all their magic powers. What am I gonna do? Um, what did the ancient one tell me? You know, I'm going to recount this whole Zom thing. Going to weirdly forget to mention that I cut off his hair, but you know, whatever. Going to recap the whole, um, living tribunal and ancient one letting himself die. And Wong's like, Oh no, he's dead. And Dr. Strange's like, hold on. I'm still talking. Um, and so he starts looking through all of his notes. I've got to use my spells to do some magic and stop all the bad stuff. Meanwhile, Rando Dude is robbing some paintings from a place. And he's like, I'm going to use my magic. But another guy walks in and says, no, I have magic. And I'm in charge of all the magic. And so Blad magic people are getting together. And Dr. Strange goes, like, what is it? What are they doing? Going to go find out. So he uses his magical powers to, like, find the bad magic people. Meanwhile, there is a force bound in the Ditko magic lands who's almost free for whatever reason. And while Dr. Strange is spying on the uh, mystical, magical users who are banded together to be evil, suddenly somebody new jumps into their presence and we turn around and it's Baron Mordo. No. return. Did you see that coming? I did not. I thought it was Dormammu. Really? I really thought it was going to be Dormammu. But there's an M on the guy's cheek. I didn't see the M on his cheek. Where's the M on his cheek? Oh, page six. Flipping back, flipping back. Oh, he said that he was the master. 
Does Baron Mordo well, have an M on his cheek? No, but his name's Mordo. Okay. I don't know. That's just like there's nobody else named Mordo in or that starts with an M, I guess. No, 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 no. <laughs> the guy with the M on his cheek is not Mordo. He gets No, I know. He works for Mordo. He works for Mordo. And so Mordo put an M on his cheek, just like the M's on the mutants in the future. Yes. Right. I hate when my house disappears. Yeah. That is an cool page, though. Yeah. Did you remember what happened to his house before they reminded you? Not really, but I believed them. Mm -hmm. I remembered she attacked the city and stuff and was being a pest, like, in public. But I didn't remember that she got rid of the house. Once I saw the, pa- the panel of her destroying the house, I remembered seeing that before. Because it's basically a redraw of another panel. Yeah. And then he uses the time stone to reverse it, basically? Apparently. Because when you crumple a house like a paper ball and not... I mean, I'm being poetic there, but that's what they show. Mm-hmm. But then he's just like, no, it's just going to unvanish it. That's all that needs to happen. Satanish, unvanish. Yeah. So that's a little like... I mean, I don't know what I want, but maybe like him being slightly ruined that his place is ruined would have been cool. Yeah. Instead of just boop, undo. I would have been also a little bit happier if they just showed it uncrumbling. <laughs> yeah, that would have been cool too. <laughs> At least like not. Do you, do you feel like this whole like, what's his name again? Living Tribunal is like, oh man, you killed the evil top. You, you cut the evil top knot. Now all the evil escaped out of the top knot's head and it's going to like, go into people and I need to eliminate earth altogether before it gets out of control. And I'm thinking, well, so far we've only seen like eight, 10 guys get magic. Is that just who we're seeing or is there thousands and millions? I think there are people all over the place, maybe scores instead of thousands or millions. But the idea that Baron Mordo broke free because of the same effect is pretty cool. Oh yeah. Do you think they left out the whole forelock bit this time? Cause it doesn't make any sense. I guess. I also just feel like, tribunal's tripping like this can't be possibly the worst thing that's ever happened to this planet mm. you know what i mean like it's a little overkill like i feel like everybody can stop this and i don't think they're gonna like sweep the universe or taint the universe or whatever he's worried about right with the multiverse i did think that this is possibly one of the best looking chapters of this series since the best of mm-hmm. Ditko. the art's pretty good yeah really really love this art um It's the kind of art that will levitate a mediocre story into something better. I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen Mordo in a while, so I guess that's kind of exciting that he's back. Yeah. Because he is like the guy, but we saw him so many times before. It has been a year of comics because I think it was 146 that um, Ditko wrapped up his stories. And that was the end of Dormammu and Baron Mordo in that issue. Okay. So it has been a while. They've been doing other things. Now he's back. It was a good Mm -hmm. reveal. Mm-hmm. And um, I legitimately enjoyed this chapter. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Wong, he called Strange Bondsman. No. Bondsman. Strange okay. called him his Bondsman. So I'm like, okay, mm. what is the story with Wong? Sadly, a lot of Wong's background was made up whenever they wrote his entry for the handbook of the Marvel Universe. And he doesn't really get a lot of exposition in comics. But Mm. um, he is like the 10th generation of his family that has served the Ancient One. The Ancient One's been alive for hundreds of years, and Wong's family has been serving him for generations. And in fact, we don't officially know it, but we have met Wong's father in this series. Really? His name is Hamir the Hermit. There have been a few times where the Ancient One was sick or unconscious in a random place, not Doctor Strange's house. 
and there'd be like mm-hmm. a random old dude taking care of him. That was always Hamir, and he is Wong's oh. father, sworn to serve the Ancient One. And what do you um, think about Wong, Wong calling a? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. Uh, just the last last little bit. Wong works for Doctor Strange now because their service to the Ancient Ones because he's a Sorcerer Supreme, and Doctor Strange is now taking up that mantle as a Sorcerer Supreme. So Wong mm-hmm. is now serving him. Doctor Strange absorbed the Ancient One's powers. Yes. Like, like the Highlander or something. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I mentioned it. I had the same thought when I was reading that chapter. Like, that's, this is a quickening. What do you think of Wong calling him master all the time and him never saying, don't do that? I guess it's just his thing that he likes to be the Sorcerer Supreme and talk weird even though he's from Jersey and all that stuff. It might be the sort of thing where this is the role that he has chosen to play, and so Doctor Strange kind of has to go along with it. Um, Alfred calls Bruce Wayne Master Bruce. Yeah, I don't ever love that either, especially when they try and make him his dad also at the same time. It's like, what the hell? But I did hear somebody say once that Master is actually a formal address for a young man. An unmarried person, yeah. Uh, like More like a, a, a child or a young boy. Like if you want, uh-huh. if you wanted to address a boy formally, you'd call him Master Whatever instead of Mister. And so mm-hmm. you have this flavor that Alfred is always talking to Bruce like he's still his child. Master, punish me as you will, but I must hear the cause of your ambu- anguish. It's like I wouldn't like a guy talking to me like that. That just would make me feel awkward. No, Wong gets more lines here than he's had in a while, but they are a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, and Alfred Beagle is better than Alfred Pennyworth. But anyway. Alfred so, Beagle is better than Alfred Beagle. Makes a lot more sense, doesn't he? But that's um, it for me anyway, unless you got something. No, I, I just could say that that was a solid Doctor Strange issue, and I was glad we read it. <sighs> yeah. Our last one, huh? Sad mm-hmm. that it was solid. Okay. Tales of Suspense, number 92, featuring Cap and Iron Man. Before my eyes, Nick Fury died. So this is our three Nick. But first, we have to do Iron Man within the vastness of Viet Space Nam, a modern-day masterwork. Stan, the man Lee, and gentleman Gene Colan combine their titanic talents with Frank Giacoya Inker and Sam Rosen Letterer to bring you a block-busting saga of startling suspense. Hey, that works. So, it starts with Iron Man and the army testing a weapon that never gets used again in this story, unless it happens next issue. Spoilers to be continued. Um, but it's some sort of like heat seeking bullets thing. So, like, Iron Man's flying around, they shoot, the bolts find him and hit him. Of course, it doesn't hurt him because he's Iron Man. And they're like, Yeah, these guns work. Thanks. Hey, anyway, we, the Colonel wants to talk to you. And so Iron Man goes over there, and the Colonel's like, Dude, there's this guy, right? In this castle. Um, what's his name? Half Face. Oh my God. That's yeah. right. <laughs> There's this guy, and he's in this castle, and he's developing a weapon that's so deadly that nothing can stop it. At least that's what we hear. The same guys that hear that all the time in other stories. His name is Half-Face, and Iron Man's like, oh, I've heard of Half-Face. He's supposed to be just as, he's supposed to be the commie's answer to Tony Stark. And he's like, yeah, we heard that too. So if he's making a weapon that's invincible, we're scared. So would you mind... If we flew you over there, would you like just take care of this for us since we have you here? And Iron Man's like, sure, buddy, I'll do that. So they get him in a helicopter so he can reserve his transistor power. They fly him to the ambiguous, you know, over the red curtain somewhere. And he leaps out of the air or the helicopter and immediately gets fired or gets fired upon, but it doesn't hurt him. He starts walking his way towards the castle and there's a bunch of like, uh, 
this is supposed to be Vietnam because it's called Vietnam, right? So I guess Vietnamese soldiers uh, with guns and they start shooting him. But again, he's Iron Man and they're just bullets. So he just keeps on walking. At one point, he shakes a tree and, you know, shakes them all out of there. Um, Half face is called half face because his lower jaw down to his neck is like a robot or metal or something. Yeah, he still managed to have an entire face. He's still a tire face, but he reminds me of like that lockjaw guy from He-Man. Exactly what I was thinking. Yes. Um, that's what he looks like, except he's a scientist. And he is inventing something. What is it called? Anything I can think of? I don't know. It's got a lot of A solar energy destructor bits. array. There you go. Solar energy destructor array. So he's watching Iron Man um, get closer and closer. So he shoots, I think, the ray at Iron Man. Um, and it knocks him on his butt, makes him shaky. They tries to shoot him again, but Iron Man manages to fly into the air. He invades the castle by busting through the wall, starts shooting at the stops, take, starts taking out all the soldiers that are shooting at him. Um, at some point, he gets really mad, kicks the door down. He's like, "That's it, half face. I've come for you." But then a bunch of robot dog crocodile things come out and start biting at him. That half face invented, so he beats those up. Uh, meanwhile, Half Face. Oh, he's his secret weapon is like some Frankenstein thing. That's right. So it's like shooting on a bed, and the bed is covered. So something is underneath the bed. It looks like a person, and he's like, once this thing comes awake, nothing can stop it. And Iron Man, and it's like gonna wake up right now as Iron Man rears around the corner to be continued next issue face to face with what Frankenstein. I felt a little bit let Don't down know. that we didn't get more of a reveal at the end. This was a very simple story, kind of like mm-hmm. Iron Man. Iron Man goes to Vietnam. He walks his way to the castle, and then some bad guy is going to be revealed that wasn't revealed yet. And it's a very fast read, mm-hmm. um, and it's build up to something that we don't see at the end. So there's like no, oh by the way, look at this really cool thing. You saw Half Face. Well, now there's this. No, it's like now there's ha ha ha. You'll find out later. He's Vietnam. He's the commie's answer to Tony Stark, but like, I guess. But he's not. Well, the, I mean, he does have robots and lasers and stuff. But speaking of weapons, Tony Stark turned uh-huh. rifle shells into tracer missiles. Yes, that was the beginning, huh? That seemed like giving way too much power. <laughs> I don't know. Well, he did disagree- disintegrate a whole city with a disintegrator gun in like the first few issues of <laughs> Tales of Suspense. So you're not wrong. This is a little more low key. Um, there's a couple of comments on page two about his old mm. governess. Yeah, that's right. Kind of out of nowhere. And I thought it was setting up for a story point, but then no, he's just randomly thinking about being a child and raised by a woman who was scared he was going to fall off tall stuff. But that's character origin, which we don't really have for Tony, do we? No, we don't. We all. don't have a whole lot. So yeah, it is information from him. And maybe the most interesting thing that happens in this particular chapter, because while, while it was fun enough, I didn't really love it, and no. I was disappointed by the ending. It's too simple. Mm-hmm. Unless unless next issue is a really awesome reveal. But you would think the reveal would end on the to be continued. But it said they ended on a mystery. And he does say, Half-Face, can that be another name for the Mandarin? And I was totally thinking the same thing for the first three pages. But then he says, nah, because the Mandarin doesn't like commies either. Right. Um, yeah, we've never even got like any mention of Howard or anything, right? Nothing like we don't know. We don't know anything about his life, his childhood. His friends have gone off to get married. They're no longer here. Yes. So I wonder if they're. Well, I should actually look up. Are they out? Are they gone? 
No, they already got married. They got they eloped. Yeah, they they eloped last issue. So are they out of the book now? Oh, I don't know. We'll look that up real quick. They're certainly not here, but they've been out of the book for issues for multiple issues, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, like on the fringes. Mm-hmm. Is this ninety three or 92? yeah? This is ninety two. I don't know. I don't have much to say about this issue. This story. Uh, Happy Hogan and Pepper Potts will next appear in Iron Man three. Oh boy, that's a ways away. Not as far as you might think, but it's a year. Yeah, that's a long time for main supporting characters. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm ready for Cap if you are. All right. Before my eyes, Nick Fury died. Um, handsome as a screen star, alert as a tiger, straight as a ramrod, tall, lean, muscular Steve Rogers checks in at Kennedy Airport from an uneventful jet flight as our gripping tale begins. Marvel's truly titanic twosome reunites once more. Stan the Manly and Jack King Kirby. Embellishment by Joe Sinnott. Lettering by Artie Simek. So yeah, we get a Captain America Kirby story. And you can tell immediately. Uh, you can tell immediately. He is in his Steve Rogers outfit in a suit with a fedora. And I only bother to mention that because we have had very little Steve Rogers so far in our recordings. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a weird... Whoa, full-page splash of Steve Rogers as Steve Rogers. Um, he goes, sits down at the airport to catch up on news, but really he's looking at the Avengers uh, iPhone, and he calls in, and he's like, hey, guys, I was doing something with Nick Fury, but I'm on my way back. And Goliath is like, yeah, and also thanks for just randomly swinging by and helping us with that Diablo thing. No problem, guys. See you soon. And then the Avengers are like, gosh, he seems depressed. And Hercules is like, humans are weird. Anyway, um, AIM is floating around in a submarine that's got AIM written all over it. <laughs> I just realized that. Anyway, so did I. and they're talking to a blonde lady with a pink jumpsuit. And she's like, yeah, I don't really work for Nick. And they're like, how can we be sure of that? And she's like, well, I made this tape recorder. I have this tape recorder and it, I recorded how Nick is going to be at such a place in such and such a time. And you guys can use that to your advantage and kill him if you want. And they're like, let's see that recorder. And they shoot it and go, that's what we're going to do to you if you're a liar. <gasps> anyway, let's go see if she's a liar. So they go, they send a big giant aim robot to where Nick is supposed to be. And while that's happening, Cap is kind of doing his introspective. Why am I here? Who am I? Every time I'm Steve Rogers, I have no idea what I should be doing. When I'm Cap, I feel great. I know how to punch bad guys. But when I'm Steve, I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. Everybody's all my barbershop quartet guys are dead or at least really old or 20 years older. Um, and while he's thinking about that, he sees the robot because he happened to be walking by the barbershop too. He turns into Captain America. He fights the robot. The robot is actually pretty powerful and knocks him on his butt multiple times. He actually doesn't save nick the robot manages to get a shot off nick is seemingly killed cap is mad so he fights some more and ultimately gets the upper hand after getting smacked around quite a bit um immediately the robot disintegrates and as it disintegrates the real nick fury comes around the corner and goes yeah we knew that all along we actually have an agent in there who we told to tell aim where i was gonna be and nick and cap's like is it that girl I want to have a relations with? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, does that mean that I've really screwed up her mission? And he's like, Nick's like, probably, yeah. We're going to need somebody to go in there and rescue her. Do you have any idea who we could send? And next, one versus aim. Okay. 
you mentioned barbershop quartet friends. Uh-huh. So my brain just wrote a song. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Whoa, for the longest time. Whoa, for the longest. When, <clears throat> when you fell into the ice that night, there <laughs> was still so much war left to fight. What else could I do? But we got by without you, and you were frozen for the longest time. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's all I got while you were doing your recap. <laughs> wow. I'm sure there'll be more. Anyways. Um, so, wow. This was pretty this was, good. This was fun. This was fun. Um, the random robot was a random robot, but everything yeah, around yeah. the random robot was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The introspective Steve Rogers, what even is private life, really uh-huh. kicks into gear, I think, with this issue. Maybe maybe it's going to kick uh-huh. into gear more later, but I remember it being a really big thing. I've kind of been waiting for it to start, and I feel yeah. like this is definitely a start. So, for those who don't know, John and I cover this stuff by the day it comes out, followed by some sort of chronology if there is any to be had or basically alphabetical order right yeah so we we use the the release dates from mike's amazing world and we use the chronology from travis's site over at marvelreading.com right in this case that is not really working <laughs> but because <laughs> because there's two references here that have not played out steve based on what yeah, we cap and yeah. nick met over in strange tales and that's going to be a three-part arc that all takes place yeah. before this story. Yeah. But before that was the Avengers Diablo two-parter, which is going to resolve next week, even though there's an asterisk saying, go get issue 42. It's not out yet, Stan. Right. So it's like we thought about moving this forward, but then that would ruin our whole month-to-month thing. And also, we don't want to get into that too much because then it's just a big headache. But also, I just find it very interesting that – this was released with all those references in it. And back then you could not have read the rest of those stories. No, yet. It's not like Thor where they just like ignore the fact that he has multi-part saga epics while he's over in Thor and also in the Avengers here. They actually mm-hmm. pinned down the chronology of what order these events happen in, which was, I yeah. like that sort of thing. I like when they do the work on that. So what what I'm going to find – oh, I guess I'm not going to find that interesting because this is our last issue. But what I would have found interesting is how does that Nick Fury story end to where Steve is on a regular commercial flight home? Mm. Like, does he not get a lift with the shield? Does he not hang with Nick? <laughs> how is this happening? Which made the opening of this kind of jarring in a way because I don't remember what the last issue of Cap was, but it wasn't this. No, it wasn't. It was um, he fought a rando. Yeah, so it's like you open this story, and it's like, oh, Nick or Steve Rogers is at the airport, huh? What? What's going on? Let's see. Tales of Suspense ninety one. I wrote down. Um, it was the, no, he did fight a ran- rando. That was the Gil Kane Red Skull story. Oh yeah. Okay. So then I was thinking, is he coming back on a commercial flight from the Red Skull thing? But no, it's from the Nick Fury mm-hmm. thing. So we'll find out what that is, what that thing is, I guess. Or no, we won't, but we could have. Anyway. I don't know. I'm having fun with this comic. Um, <sighs> yeah, me too. The first page seriously looked like that little girl was holding Steve's hand. 
<laughs> it does. And I was it? seriously expecting there to be a lot more going on in Steve's thought balloons. <laughs> but she's holding nobody's no, hand. No, she's just, she waving, just waving the I camera guess? or something. Okay. Okay. But it's just the angles and the way the lines blend together. Um, yeah. I didn't realize that was Sharon in the opening part. I did not either. Until Fury explained it all at the end. Yes. I agree. And I have been thinking like, and I keep forgetting to bring it up, but I am amazed at how cool they've been playing the Sharon thing. Like they introduced her a while mm-hmm. ago and they haven't done much with her. And usually in the sixties, when you introduce somebody, you beat them to death and then, you know, move on. And it's like, they've just been like slowly eking her in here and there or sentences every once in a while. This is the first time we've seen her in a while. It is. And the last time we talked about her, Cap was like, hey, tell her we've got a date tonight. And they're like, she's not here right now, Cap. But here Mm -hmm. he says he never learned her name. So that's a little bit of a weird incongruity. Oh, because they did seem like they had gone out. Mm -hmm. Because after the Batrock setup story, Mm -hmm. they they were left together in that room and they were kind of like holding hands and being like yay at least we're together maybe they were so just talking and something. forgot to ask <laughs> maybe she said i can't tell you maybe maybe i just looked it up it was 75 that she first appeared and there's the whole formula whatever <coughs> thing so it's been and we're on 92 92 that's 17 this is the 18th issue of the modern cap stories a year and a half of it and she's not in it or she's not yeah but like identified you introduce Mordo and we have 28 issues of Mordo in a row. Mm-hmm. But like with this, they were just, they're kind of chill. I don't know if they were just dying, trying to decide what to do with her or if they just didn't want to like ruin it all really quick. But I appreciate that. I kind of like that. It's just been slowly yeah. happening. Cause it's, it's, a, it's avoiding a lot of the tropes of relationships in these comics and it's going to get really tropey in its own whole way later on. So right now it's just kind of cool. Does Nick- another good reason to another another good reason to quit this podcast is before we get to Captain America being a total creep ball <laughs> <laughs> when he starts dating Sharon. I'm not looking. I wouldn't. I wasn't looking forward to that. So maybe it's good we never see it. Does Nick Fury actually get haircuts at the Shield haircut place? Because it looks like he's actually getting a haircut. You would think if it's part of the cover that he should once in a while, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I I believe he's had a shave there that we saw. Has he? Did they actually did they actually groom him before they sent him down the tunnel? I, I think one of the comic stories we read like showed him with shaving cream on his face and they were shaving him or something. But maybe I'm making that up. I believe you. But I couldn't say what issue that was. Once the robot appears, they start fighting. I don't really have a whole lot. And then Nick Fury turns out to not be dead at the end. And I'm like, oh, that was the Winter Soldier plot. That we, we all saw coming, though, yeah. right? It's almost like whenever they began the story and they killed off the character at the beginning of the story, they already planned by the end of the episode to bring back the character, and he wasn't really dead. Mm. I hope that guy that was giving him a haircut is also not dead. Oh, yeah, because the haircut cast has been the Cause same. Because he, 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 he's laying there right next to the other oh, that, that Nick Fury's sad. leg. <laughs> did, they, did they sacrifice him for the... I hope not. <laughs> Commitment or something? Yeah. They have LMDs pretending to cut the LMDs hair. Yeah, right. But yeah, this I thought these three comics were a pretty great start to the Merry Month of May. Um Yeah, it's a it's a good setup. I'm looking forward to next issue when he goes in there. So I've had a lot of fun doing these comics. 
I know. Kind of reminds me why we do this. And I was looking at the the fun feedback we've been getting from Tim and John and all the others and kind of getting some warm fuzzies. And I was thinking about how they'll be sad when they hear that we've canceled the podcast. And, and you know, way back when we started this, we were really going to – we just felt the responsibility to, like, cover – all Marvel from the beginning. Right. We're only on 1967, April. Like, that's not even close to all Marvel. And I mean, at at least all the 60s would be great, right? Right. That'd be a better stopping point anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, do we have to quit? Are you committed to quitting? (sighs) No. I mean, not really. I guess we could just keep going. Right. I mean, sure, it gets in the way sometimes, but that's just kind of like what we we decided to do. We're going to do this podcast and talk about comics and be friends, and it'll be fun. So do you want to just get back in action? I think that um, the world has not seen The Last of Us yet. That we're going to um, still be here next issue and how. And they better believe That's it. That's right. So. <laughs> <laughs> do you think people are going to write in right now and be like, you had me so yeah, scared? Yeah, it's not even April Fool's. Or <laughs> No. Or are they just going to totally know what was going on with that? I don't know. I don't I'm know. curious. We'll Listeners, how much did you believe us? <laughs> it's amazing Spider-Man 50. <laughs> right? Oh. Um, <sighs> bonus. Starting tomorrow. Um, coming up soon on this podcast, we are going to be covering the Avengers Battle the Earthwrecker, which is not in print. There is no licensed avenue to get this story. And so I feel that even though it's not technically legit, I don't think I'll be stomping on any toes. And if this is, then, you know, kindly let me know from, you know, the proper authorities can say, hey, put this down and we'll take it down. Take take it down. But starting tomorrow, there will be daily audio chapters released on this podcast feed of the Avengers Battle the Earthwrecker. They'll be released Saturday through Thursday for the next three weeks, giving you 18 audio chapters read by John M. Wilson. And um, if you have no access to the book and have never read it before, or if you want to hear me do crazy voices and make Goliath sound really beso, um, <laughs> then yeah, come listen to the Avengers Battle of the Earthbreaker starting tomorrow. There'll be short episodes. They're audio chapters of the book. I thought it was going to be read by Roger the Watcher. Yeah, no. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I do have him voicing Hawkeye a little bit. Okay. But next episode, uh, not tomorrow's episode, because that's the, um, the audios, but next week on our regular Friday weekly episode, you can expect us hear us not canceled, still really here, totally chill, talking about Thor 142. Um, the X-Men 34, Daredevil 30, and the Avengers 42. So where can they find us since we're still here? Well, if we're going to stay here, we might as well uh, keep the website too, which you can find at makearsmarvel.com. Links to all the popular apps or just a generic RSS feed. Also links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter, which I suppose we'll keep. And we'll keep the contact form that you can use to write us and tell us if you were fooled or not fooled by tonight's episode. Uh, Or you could just write directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Want to say thank you to Murray Jackson or Ernest Jackson. I'm not sure which name. They prefer for putting a little tip in the tip jar over at the Make Cars Marvel website is a PayPal link. 
So we never expect, but always greatly appreciate financial support for the show just to kind of keep the ball rolling over here, have the, uh, keep the hamster fed. So we keep spinning the wheel and, um, yeah, you can just go over there and click the PayPal link at makeosmarvel.com and show your support for the show that way, or by retweeting us on Twitter or, um, by talking to us at your, with your friends at the water cooler, um, on, you know, the office, we will be here. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm sorry. We're on Twitter. Mike's on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I'm on Twitter at John Reads Comics. My other podcast, Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, is on Twitter at TFUK Podcast. And uh, yeah, we will be here next week for more comics. And until then, or until Spider Man fills New York City with so many other spider people that they call it Spider Island, make ours marvel. marvel.